Morning Crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And we got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Thursday. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how SBI Remit has announced the expansion of their ODL system into three new corridors, stating that XRP will be used as a bridge asset between nations. As the first Ethereum spot ETF application was filed yesterday at the SEC, potentially opening the floodgates for American liquidity. Tokenized assets are taking the world by storm as a new organization has been founded stating they're going to bring the next trillion of tokenized assets onto the blockchain. And with the global payment giants like Swift and Visa announcing blockchain partnerships this week, we break down the details showing our community how the largest financial firms on the planet are in the process of going digital. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we got a bunch of great news for today, but we've got a Mark Yusko video that's becoming more relevant than ever. He said he's waiting for the adoption articles. Well, we got one for him today. So I'm very excited for today's show. How are you feeling? And thanks for being here. Well, I guess we'll have to bust that bad boy out. But good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs up. Love you guys. I appreciate them for showing up every single day. Uh, I'm excited to hop into it. We got the boys here today. Mario, God, this is awesome. It's been a while, so let's get it rolling. Mario and great minds do think alike. And me and you are rocking the same Merlin t-shirt today. So first of all, shout out to that. But how are you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm feeling amazing, man. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everybody in the chat. It is good to, to, to be on with Johnny, Abs, and, and Gonzo. So I'm excited about that. The boys are back in town. Isn't that a song? But anyway, let's continue. Love you guys. Gonzo, you got the bull run sweatshirt on. I'm not sure we're in bull market territory yet, but things are starting to get exciting for the crypto market. Yesterday, Kathy Wood filed the first application for a spot Bitcoin ETF. I'm excited to talk about that today as well. But how you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Yeah, good morning. Good afternoon and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. We appreciate you guys being with us and, you know, just feeling truly blessed this morning. Uh, anytime that I get to be on with you guys, uh, you know, Thursdays are especially special because it's usually like all four of us. And, you know, we talk every day, but this is our one chance to kind of be on the show together. So love you guys. Love everybody in the chat. Appreciate you guys being with us. And yeah, man, it's going to be a great show. And we already got 118 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button because today we are going to earn that like. I can promise you that throughout this episode. And we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that like button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index. Oh, I'm not on that page, actually. We are looking at the daily movers this morning. We got XLM up about 5%, HBAR up about 3%, and Render Protocol up nearly 7% on the day. When we look at our total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.03 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 48% dominant. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 25,700. Ethereum, 1,600. XRP is 50 cents. And let's scroll down to Cardano, sitting at a quarter this morning. And guys, I want to start off this episode discussing where we are in the market cycle and how long these bear markets traditionally last. This was a great post put out by Kevin Cage. And as you can see, these stats, they really speak for themselves. So the first bear market was only about 611 days. And that was during 2012 through the 
earliest phase of adoption for crypto assets. That's why I believe that bear market was so short. As you can tell, after that bull run, we went into a very long bear market here, Johnny, 1,247 days before we reached all-time highs. And then from that point forward, very, very bullish for the markets. In 2018, we saw something a little bit shorter. We saw about 1,000 days of a bearish market. And what are we seeing today? We are about 700 days in to this bear market cycle. And some might speculate that we're about 883 days if you calculate from that first bull market peak in the spring of 2021. So, Johnny, I want to ask you, man, a lot of people are waiting for the optimistic price targets. A lot of people are dying to find an excuse to get excited about crypto. What has you excited? Do you think we got a long bear market ahead of us or are optimistic times on the horizon? Well, I mean, I think the long, the most, the, the majority of the bear market is behind us. So that's what gets me excited is you have, think about this. You've got the end of this, you know, this next bear market that we're in about coming up based on this timing chart that you see everybody comparing to. Then you also have potentially the uh, SEC rulings on ETF. And you also have the Bitcoin halving. She got a lot of catalysts. So I'm excited, Abs. Absolutely, I'm excited. There's a shit ton of catalysts that are coming up and they're all lining up right in that part, right where we're starting to come back up. Uh, and that's why when people say, Johnny, when do you think we'll get an ETF approval? You know, we always say, show me the chart, I'll show you the news. I won't be surprised if the news comes out as we're kind of coming up, you know, mm -hmm. as we're on the way up on the very end of that curve and we're not that far away. So it just all feels right. It all feels like it's all going to be coming together over the next several months. So what did you say, by 883? And there was a thousand. So we're about 200 days away, you know, from, I guess, the the, the, the main bull run. But it, it feels like, yeah, we're narrowing in on that. I'm super excited for that. Abs. A lot of I mean, it really gets me excited, Johnny, is big banks, they buy during a bear market. And we're going to show a video right now discussing how all of these banks, financial firms like JP Morgan, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, even Bank of America is using digital assets right now. So we're going to play this quick video and kick it to the group. Here we go. Organization to normalize alts. Yeah. As you put it, a huge paradigm shift. And I like that you you said it was your North Star um, for my fellow panelists. Um, will it be the North Star for you all or kind of the, that moonshot, if you will, from where you sit? Well, I think, I mean, if we fast forward a decade, my humble belief is a majority of financial assets will have been issued natively as digital assets on a blockchain, traded on a blockchain. That is hugely disruptive to how financial services works today, which is via, you know, permissioned intermediaries. And I think um, public blockchains offer the opportunity to catalyze creation in the space that we date. And this is internet moment. This is when the financial architecture changes. It's, it's you know, financial service. It were really the interview that we had gone Yaska, where he said, we're from an era of trust into an era of transparency. And she said, this is the internet moment for currencies. So that's really what I want to focus on. And we're starting this with a lot of videos. I promise it is well worth the watch. And we're off with this Mark Yusko video where he's describing how key it's all allowances, but no adoption. We're going to provide a little evidence here. And for me, it's still down to show me the money, right? Show me the use case, show me the implementation. There's a lot of discussion and a lot of, oh, we're talking to this bank, or we're talking to this bank and we're going to have, and we're going to be the payment rails for this and we're going to replace SWIFT. Great. And, you know, is the SEC going to appeal? I, I, I think the SEC is just wasting people's time and money, really literally poking the eye of, 
you know, that they know those guys have money that, that they want to spend. The problem for the SEC, I mean, the SEC doesn't have a budget, right? The only way they $200 million were spent battling the SEC by Ripple, just debating the security status, Gonzo. And that's what I really want to pay attention to here. Mark Yusko said, it's all announcements, no utility. Well, this is what SBI Remit just did yesterday, is they announced the expansion of their ODL system and specifically broke down the utility being applied here for XRP. So I want to tie those two videos together. With On one hand, we have the banking giant stating we are 10 years away from all assets being tokenized on blockchains. Yesterday, we had this great news from SBI Remit. So I'd just like to hear what it means to you, and we'll kick it to Gonzo. Yeah, you know, when he talks about like announcements, I think it's a little bit more than that. I mean, you can look at what's happened in the last, just let's say the last week, right? Super bullish news. You have what happened with the FASB where you have fair value accounting that's coming up so that these companies can hold Bitcoin on their balance sheets that they haven't been able to do that before. MetaMask came out, right? Web3 wallet where now it's easier to go ahead and do an on and off ramp, especially the off ramp part onto PayPal or to your bank account that you connect, right? You have all the kind of regulatory stuff that's happened with all the judges and all the rulings, Uniswap case being dismissed and how they reference things. You have all the ETF stuff that's been coming up. I I mean, there's just a lot. I I don't think it's just um, announcements. These are kind of like things that further us in adoption, right? And make things a lot easier. And this is how you onboard, uh, you know, a billion people. And so, yeah, super bullish. It hasn't uh, directly translated to price action, but um, I think that will come, right? We have no liquidity in the overall macro. We're having issues, but these are all different setups to uh, the next bull run. And here's what gets me excited, Mario. A lot of people are speculating about what Ripple's next move is. And I have a tweet that I really want to show our listeners. So right now we're showing our 212 live listeners. First of all, show us some love, smash that like button. Today's going to be an exciting episode. And Mario with SBI remit announcing that they're going to be rolling out this payment service utilizing XRP this month. Is this the beginning of what they're calling the internet moment of crypto? Well, there's no doubt that, you know, this stuff is super disruptive, like extremely disruptive. Like Uber was disruptive to the taxis. This is way bigger. And so obviously it's going to be met with resistance. It's going to be met with, um, you know, banks and financial institutions not really wanting to give in, but it's only a matter of time until we start to see a full transition. Cause I really believe there will be a full transition of some sort, whether XRP ends up being the chosen one or something else, there is definitely going to be a transition to blockchain technologies, you know, from everything from, uh, ODL to, uh, transfers, uh, micro transfers. I mean, the list goes on tokenized assets. It's just going to take a little bit of time. We are so digged into the crypto space every single day that it feels like things are moving super slow. Right. And it, it almost feels like we're kind of late. You know, is, is this going to happen? It's just, it's going to take time. The financial system is a very outdated. And we touched on this yesterday with Swift and it's super outdated and it's going to take it's going to take a little bit of time for that transition to happen. And, but I really believe that it will. Um, I'm excited to see if it's going to be a ripple that pushes a lot of that to happen. I mean, ripples got the clarity, a little bit more clarity now moving forward. I'm in, intrigued to see 
Because I really think that there are partnerships that are happening behind the scenes, but we're not going to find out about them until either they're ready to announce it or the NDAs come to an expiration of some sort. But yeah, I'm super excited for the space. I'm, I'm excited to see what, what when this transition or this full transition takes place. And Gonzo, this is something I wanted to get your opinion on because David Schwartz commented on this tweet yesterday. And although XRP Productions is typically a meme account, David Schwartz commented with something very serious at the bottom here. So I want to get your opinion. My conservative prediction for Ripple and the XRP community party. Ripple will announce a full settlement with the SEC. Ripple announces an IPO. XRP runs past its all-time high during the party. That would be very unlikely. Gary Gensler is marched naked through the crowd as we all yell shame. That's the one that I'm betting on. And XRPP does a jello shot with B-Rad, a.k.a. Brad Garlinghouse. Well, the reason that I'm reading is for our listeners is because David Schwartz commented underneath, only two of these things will happen. So, Gonzo, I want to get your opinion. We're looking at a list of five here. My guess could be could be an IPO. I really think an IPO announcement is probably likely, although it's definitely not going to take place in the United States. But what do you think David Schwartz is hinting at here? I'm sure there's going to be some type of announcement. That's it seems like they're setting up, whether that's an IPO or maybe it's even a settlement with the SEC that remains to be seen, but yeah, it, it does feel like this party and we're going to know, right? You guys are going to be there. Aren't you guys going Johnny and Mario? Cause you guys are close by. So you guys are going to be there like live in person. You're going to be able to see it, be able to let us know exactly what it is. So I'm super excited for that, but I, I do feel like, I haven't researched it enough, but I do feel that there is a big announcement that's coming uh, at that at that party, at that um, event. Well, as I'm looking at the live chat right now, Mario, it seems that they believe the jello shots are going to be what's taking place. So one of the two things that David Schwartz is hinting at is a jello shot. What's the other one that you're thinking of when you look at this list? Well, the easy one to make happen, the easiest one to make happen is obviously those jello shots. But, you know, the other, the other, uh, the other ones on the list, Hmm. I don't know, man. I think an e. Uh, I don't think. Can we see an IPO before a full settlement settlement with the SEC? I think it would make more sense to see a full settlement with the SEC first, and then an IPO. Uh, unless it's international. Right. Unless it's international. Great point. Uh, or XRP. unless unless they they say, hey, we got a settlement, and then now we're gonna do an IPO. They could do both at one time. I don't know. Mm, unless, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, you already gave 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 it away that we're going to be there. So, you know, people are what I'm going to do, though, is I'm not going to be wearing my glasses. So no one's going to recognize me because I'm going to do a Clark Kent kind of thing. So that's the good thing. Very, I'm very sorry. Good. Was it was it a secret, bro? I'm sorry. I didn't know I was giving up a secret. I I'm just, just did a Johnny, bro. I just did a Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> you see how easy it is to do a Johnny? You see that? It's not that high. See what I mean? <laughs> Abs, you're on mute, brother. We can't hear you. Sorry about that rookie mistake there, guys. I was on mute, but we are going to play this video of Chris Larson because what he's discussing in this video, we skipped through it yesterday and we gave you some of the highlights, but I think it's worth playing the whole clip right now. He's blaming the Biden administration for the lack of regulation with crypto, but he's also stating that the intentional push of these companies overseas could be an issue that goes far beyond the SEC. Let's talk about it. Unfortunately, uh, this administration... Uh, made a really bad call in, at the city level or the federal uh, level. The federal level, they pretty much killed San Francisco from being what it was—the blockchain capital of the world. We owned it, uh, and we don't anymore because the Biden administration, for whatever reason, decided they want to push this industry offshore. And so, 
it's London, Singapore, Dubai that that really are the global capitals of blockchain. That's unfortunate. We maybe our vacancy rate would be half of what it is here in San Francisco. It's thirty percent. It might have been fifteen percent if we still were the global blockchain capital of the world. So that was a missed opportunity. It's really unfortunate. It hurt the city. The, the latest with with Ripple Labs. Uh, action at the federal level is that you have objected to the SEC's request to appeal the original court ruling, which was a positive for Ripple in the sense that it found the cryptocurrency XRP was not a security um, when it was sold to the public. Could you just explain what the latest is with that legal dispute? Well, I think the bottom line is the SEC lost on everything that was important to them and important in regulation of the industry. The case still continues. There's there's appeal processes that everybody has the right to do. Um, but uh, we think that this is really groundbreaking. Uh, this is the law of the land. And it's actually quite good news, I think, for, again, I think the U.S. screwed up here on, on, on blockchain policy. This is the beginning now through the courts, unfortunately, instead yes. of the regulator that clarity and get us back in the Well, there's kind of both happening in parallel. There's your situation with the SEC. Think about the applications pending for uh, Bitcoin for ETF. You know, Gary Gensler and the SEC have both decisions to make applications and fights that they are, are or are not willing to pick. How is that reflected on Gary Gensler, to your mind, as, as lead of that well, you bring up a, Yeah, you bring up a great point. You saw in the latest the challenge on the ETF, uh, the Bitcoin ETF, Again, SEC lost, but not only that, the judge really admonished the SEC. Uh, really come out in a way that you don't really see very often. I think it's just more proof that Gary Ginsler's decision of sort of engaging this rage by enforcement, rather than getting clear laws, he knows they're not clear. He just likes that lack of clarity, so that he can go after anybody and make up the rules as he goes along through bullying. And that's not the American way. Reminds me of the Yusko clip we started the episode, Johnny. The SEC has no federal funding. They have to go out and win these lawsuits in order to make the United States government. Chris Larson is at that again here. And one other thing I'd like to point out about Chris Larson, a lot of people don't know he is the founder, one of the original founders of Ripple. But when I look at this guy, there's just something interesting about him. I don't know if it's his eyes or something like that. Something is very interesting about Chris Larson. So I just wanted to throw that in there. What do you think, Johnny? What sticks out about this video to you? Uh, yeah, I think the great this question sticks out. Is Gary invited to the party? That's what I want to know. <laughs> but no, that's a very interesting video. Uh, he touched on so many big points about, and it was funny because he must be watching Good Morning Crypto. We literally have talked about on the show how we feel like the U.S. isn't isn't grasping in, in, in taking on crypto, but really pushing it out, right? And what have we seen over the year, year and a half that we've been doing this show? We've been showing all these examples of how Singapore has taken over, Hong Kong's taken over, Saudi Arabia's taken over, Dubai's taken over. It's everywhere but the U.S. And, and it's obviously for the very reasons that, and you heard him, you heard him say it. We were set up. San Francisco, California was ready to go. It was going to be the hub of crypto. And instead it got squashed. It got pushed out everywhere. The job's been done. Operation Choke Point is, is you know, ha did apparently, you know, it did what it was supposed to do. And it's sad because now, you know, now we're going to be from behind chasing this, this, this technology and letting the rest of the world develop it. And, you know, somebody said in the chat, it was all by design. I mean, you know, it, it certainly is very interesting to, to think how we had it and we let it go.
yeah, very, very sad, sad times. There. One more quick comment for you, Johnny. A lot of people are making a big deal out of this SBI news, and I do think it's a big deal. I think it's an important development for the crypto space overall. But SBI Remit is the 17th largest bank in Japan, and I think a lot of times we make it sound much larger than it is. But let me ask you this. Could this be a fundamental shift in the company that gives them an advantage over their competitors, potentially leading to more business because they can provide this service? That's exactly how you should look at it, right? You shouldn't look at it as, oh, they're the number one. In some cases, the number one doesn't have to really. When you're number one, what happens when you're on the top is you kind of get sleepy, you get lazy, you get tired when you're on the top of the hill because you, you figure you're number one. You did everything to get there and you don't have to always stay on top of your game. And that's when the guys behind you creep up and knock you off the top. So for, for the number ones and number two, sure, they don't need to maybe want to do this as, as as much as, for example, a number 17 needs to do it to get that advantage, give them a competitive advantage to move up higher, reduce their costs, create a better efficient system. So there's there's no doubt about it that I think, and, that, and maybe someday 17 becomes number one because of that, Abs. I think you're spot on in terms of one of the reasons why they may be doing it. I, I don't think it's, you know, if everybody's saying, oh, it sucks, it's not the number one, it doesn't matter. You just need the technology to get out there. You need people to be using it. And then, man, I don't know if you know this, but the best way to advertise anything, and this is over throughout the time of history, is always still word of mouth. And the word is going to get out there. Like, oh, my God, our competitors are using this. Our competitors are doing that. And then it gets out there quickly. And you're going to just see all different types of blockchain solutions then forming around there because, well, they got blockchain. Now we got to get blockchain. But we don't want to use their blockchain because they got that blockchain. We need a better blockchain. That's just how technology and competition and companies work. I've seen it all my life. And so that's where you're going to see a proliferation, uh, proliferation, I should say, of blockchains popping up everywhere but you just need one to kind of get the ball rolling and i think that's what's going to happen Abs. and i think we can apply that concept to our next topic for today johnny but we got 272 live listeners here show us some love smash that like button let's get over 400 live listeners in this chat by the end of the show this is the breaking news that everybody's talking about today guys as kathy woods arc invest and 21 shares have filed for the first ever spot ethereum etf application and gonzo he's keeping a stone face right now but i know he's celebrating on the inside my friend because this is something we've talked about for a long time and you put up a relevant tweet yesterday you said you anticipated this you thought it was coming here's the day that we've been finally talking about so arcs arc invest files for the first spot coin ethereum etf in the united states and many are anticipating this could be the first of a wave of applications at the sec arc invest first attempt to list such a fund in the u.s that will invest directly into Ethereum. The fund would custody their assets with Coinbase, a Coinbase trust company, and the decision is expected to come sometime on or before mid-October. Now, these applications are timing up perfectly with what's happening with Bitcoin, Gonzo, because it's a similar product. Ethereum and Bitcoin are often compared, and I think we're seeing the same thing here. What are you anticipating if a spot uh, Ethereum ETF is approved? Yeah, you know, Kathy Woods is super smart. She's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. You know, she can already see what's happening with the Bitcoin futures ETF and how they now with the grayscale decision, they're forced to now they lost the excuse for the denial. And so now it looks like here pretty soon we're going to get the approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF. So because we already see that it looks like we're going to get a futures Ethereum futures ETF this year, she's getting ahead of it. Right. And they did this before. Right. They're their first application that's coming up on that spot ETF for Bitcoin. And so she's just getting ahead of the game 
by understanding that they're going to approve this futures and they just lost their argument, right? That argument that they had against Grayscale, they just lost it. So she's just thinking ahead of time. And then once that futures ETF gets approved um, and they approve the spot ETF for Bitcoin, there's no excuse not to approve the Ethereum spot ETF because it's going to be kind of the same arguments. And so whether you love, hate, whatever indifferent you have, these things are happening and these guys are making moves. As we approach the end of this bear market, Gonzo, I got one quick follow-up for you. This is the first time we're ever going to see firms buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum, be able to hold it and make a profit through these applications. What do you think that's going to do for the market overall? Do you think we're going to become less volatile over time because banks are incentivized to hold this stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I still think that we're going to have our, our bear cycles. Um, I, I think we're still a ways away. I've said this before. We're still waiting for kind of regulation to come in. Maybe we get some kind of thing between utility and um, speculation, this next bull run. And then the next one is all utility. We kind of just have to see where regulation is. But, you know, them approving a futures ETF for Ethereum and then especially a spot ETF for Ethereum is good for XRP because that's the next one to fall in, right? That's the next one. So if we can get this quickly approved, the next thing you're going to see is XRP, uh, a futures ETF and then a spot ETF. So overall, I, I think it's all a good thing and it's all positive um, for the, the overall market. It just depends, you know, on the timing, right? This whole thing with Grayscale and them converting the GBTC trust, um, you know, there, there is a chance that depending on when it gets approved, if we're kind of going sideways from here, remember that they have to close the gap, right? And in closing the gap, and then once they transition it over to a spot ETF, you can now trade your shares of the of the uh, GBTC into um, into Bitcoin, which means you have to sell the Bitcoin. So depending on where we are in the market, you could get some sell pressure coming in. And so we kind of want to see the situation where maybe the BlackRock ETF gets approved first so that the price moves up so it can absorb the selling as they transition the GBTC trust into a uh, spot ETF. Mario, you know I, I do want to get your thoughts. I just want to ask the live chat one thing, guys. Do you believe that a Bitcoin a, a ETF will be approved this year? Put a one in the live chat if you think the SEC approves a Bitcoin ETF in October. Put a two in the live chat if you think they continue to delay the process. But Mario, floor is yours. Yeah, I, I, I kind of... I kind of feel differently to uh, Gonzo, what Gonzo said as far as Ethereum. I think that the SEC will be more hesitant to approve an Ethereum ETF, a spot ETF, based on the fact that, and obviously I'm just basing this opinion on the SEC continuing to have the same administration and no regulation coming out. But Gary Gensler has failed to answer the question on whether he thinks Ether is a security or not. And the SEC has obviously... They've, they've voiced their opinion that they don't agree with, with the decision that the judges made on XRP ruling. So to me, that tells me that they have a question mark on Ethereum. So I think they're going to be hesitant to approve an Ethereum ETF for as long as Gary Gensler is there, for as long as we continue in this same situation. I think that a Bitcoin spot ETF is definitely in the cards. They've been they've voiced their opinion on, on Bitcoin that it's, it is not a security. But Ethereum, there's there's been more uncertainty. There's been more 
lack of clarity out of Gary Gensler's mouth and, you know, the, the regulators. So I don't think that they will be so uh, quick to approve of, uh, an Ethereum ETF unless we see a switch of government, switch of uh, introduction of regulation, introduction of a framework, switch of Gary Gensler, or maybe Gary Gensler just gets told, hey, look, this is the framework now. You have to enforce it. Bingo. Because I think that ultimately that's what he's doing. He's playing he's playing the bad cop because he has to enforce the law. And the law currently states that these things, unfortunately, do fall under securities. So until they come out with a different regulation, just to sum it all up, I don't think they will approve a, an Ethereum, otherwise any other uh, ETF, crypto ETF. Johnny, so, I, yeah. I would just want to, I do want to get your thoughts, but a couple of things come to mind here. Within this article, they talk about how this is going to be a catalyst for several other companies to file for similar products. Right now, it's Kathy Wood and ARK Invest, but what we are going to see is something very similar to the Bitcoin ETF. Once one of these get filed, the sheep follow very quickly. We're going to see four, five, even six applications for Ethereum ETFs, and I'm anticipating that's going to come before the end of the year. So I just wanted to throw that in there. What do you take away from all this news? Well, first of all, you, you know now who the ETH Maxi is on our show and who isn't the ETH, the ETH, the ETH Maxi on our show. I'm just kidding. You know, I think the thing that nobody's talking about here that's probably the most significant is there's just no question they're all going to follow and do it, right? They were all just waiting for one. And now Kathy's like, okay, you know what? I better get into this quick because, you know, Yusko actually said it on the show or maybe it was somebody else, maybe it was Rispoli, said that he didn't think any of these BTC ETFs would get approved. I don't know if you remember, but he said it on the show until the grayscale ruling came out. And it was spot on. Whoever said it, it was either Rispoli or Yusko. It, it, got- it was Rispoli. It was Rispoli. Shout out to our man. Shout out to our man. That's right, Fred. Good job, brother. So Fred nailed it. And and now you're starting to see everybody wants to line up and get a piece of this thing, okay? And that's going to be good for Bit, Bit, Bitcoin. But I don't know if you heard the most significant part of that that you actually read. was Who did they say was going to be like the main custody of this thing? Coinbase, baby. And we got a great article. Exactly. Let me tie that into this as well. And I'm not trying to cut you off. I just want to point this out. Coinbase just started in a brand new organization where they're going to be bringing trillions. And they said this themselves, trillions of dollars onto the blockchain over the next five years. We're saving that for the end of the show. So our listeners have to stick around, but continue, my friend. I don't know. What the hell was I saying? That, oh, that, that to me is the most significant part. Cause you know, you kept asking me, you know, who's going to be the next Amazon? of coming out of this space and i truly believe coinbase is going to be one of the big companies that come out of this space and now they're going to be as big as i'm not saying that i'm just saying you know you got companies that made it from the internet boom and companies that didn't and companies that made it really big and i believe coinbase is going to be one of those companies that's going to make it really big because they don't only do they don't only do just crypto, right? They also got a whole banking lending side of their business too, which is huge and nobody really talks about. I think they're just poised so well to be one of like if I if I had more money to invest in, I'd be buying their stock too. And I for for, for disclosure, I have some, so I would never sell it. To me, it's those are that's a big, big play. I think that's being set up as well as potentially Ripple as well, apps for for the future. And when we talk about ETFs, Gonzo, we often compare it to what happened with gold. And I just want to get your opinion with Ethereum here. Gold's price went from about $300 all the way to $2,000 after an ETF was launched in 2004. Now, that growth took place over about eight years. It took from 2004 to 2012 for that price to hit. But what I did notice is the second the ETF was launched, it was nothing but bullish momentum for the next eight years. So what are you anticipating, not for Bitcoin, but specifically Ethereum, if a spot application is approved? 
Yeah, and I don't think it's going to get approved this year. We're talking about next year to tie in with the narratives of the next bull run, right? I mean, I, I think we could see the futures ETF uh, on Ethereum. I think that's closer. But what happens is even if Gary and the SEC deny it, they've lost that same excuse that they've always given has gone out the window. So they can't use that for Bitcoin and they can't really use it for Ethereum. We already know that judges have looked at this in the Uniswap ruling and one of the CFTC rulings. They've called Ethereum a commodity. They've also referenced that Congress needs to kind of get these things out in definition form. And so we're all kind of waiting to see what happens with that. But I think you're going to get the futures. And I'm talking about like once the Bitcoin spot ETF gets approved, that will tell us a lot as far as the arguments or if they come up with the denial. Right. Because there is a small chance where the on the grayscale case where the SEC lost the ability to deny on the grounds that they've been using for years. But they could still come at them with something about custody. I mean, they could kind of delay this thing out. And that's why I've said, I feel like they're going to delay it out so that it ties in with the Bitcoin having and next year, right? And then they're going to approve it. And then they all prove them all at once. But once they do that, they kind of box themselves in as far as they can deny it. But like ARK Investing can do what Grayscale did. They can take them to court and say, you denied us, but you approve this. This doesn't make any sense. And then you could have a judge come in and make a ruling on it like they did before. Let me throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing, though, Gonzo. Here's one thing, and I don't know if they could do this. Like, we got to ask an attorney when we get him on the show. What if the SEC comes out and says, you know what? You're right, Judge. We made a mistake. And you know what? We're going to unravel the BTF futures and not let you have that. Pull it back. Then yeah, they can do that. Yeah, yeah he can, can do, do that. that, right? That's, and now that's, that's a scorcher can, theory. Yeah, they can that's do that. A, that's, now, frankly, let's hope that doesn't happen because that's, that's going to set crypto back significantly in the whole BTF. Um, and I don't think that'll happen. My guess is exactly what you said is it's just, this is just a stall and delay tactic to get us closer to the right time frame of when all this thing is going to take off. And as absolute those, those charts of when the next bull run occurs, I really think it's just going to try to push us closer to the tip end of that curve where it's ready to launch this song bitch off as we start the next bull run. Well, Johnny, one of the things that's very apparent is that Ethereum up to this point has been given a free pass. And it's guys like this man right here, the CEO who took out took over after Steve Jobs. This is Tim Cook on CNBC in 2021 discussing he already owns Ethereum and thinks everyone else should, too. Do you own crypto and any Bitcoin or Ethereum? Would you play around with this? I, I do. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to own it as a as a part of a diversified portfolio. And I'm not giving anybody uh, investment advice, by the way. <laughs> When when did you get interested in it? Uh, I've been interested in it for a while, and uh, I've you know been researching it and 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 so forth. And so uh, I think it's interesting. Do as they do, abs, not as they say. You know, I would love to know. Like, I've been in for a while. He says, right? Well, that's interesting. How long were you bashing it before? You, and I don't know if he was particularly bashing, but we know a lot of people were. But like we always say on this show, and as Coach says, do as they do, not as they say, my friends. And yeah. Well, this is what really catches my attention. I'm going to kick it right back to Gonzo, Mario, and Johnny here. Everyone's talking about Ethereum's free pass, but what we are looking at right now is an emergence of better technologies. And I think this is a great example of that, guys. As a tweet put out by Sammy ETH yesterday said, MetaMask just rolled out its ETH to fiat withdrawals. They are charging 9% per transaction fee, and it takes up to five minutes before the money is withdrawn into his bank account. Now, we know, Gonzo, if you use XLM, if you use XRP, 
even HBAR or Quant Network, you can reduce these costs drastically. But again, Ethereum continues to get these partnerships and take center stage. Are we going to see a migration to better technologies or is it just going to continue to dominate because of what it's created over the last five or six years? You know, we hope so, right? Because there are definitely better, more efficient ways of doing payments. It's just a matter of someone building on it and then rolling it out and then it catching fire. That's a lot, right? 9% is a lot. For some people that are just trying to pull profits, it might not be, right? I think that as they kind of scale this thing, I think um, that that will drop, especially if you're talking about L2s, especially with the next upgrade. You got to look at what Solana is doing. I know that I'm telling you guys, do your own research. There are all these narratives that surround Solana, that it breaks down, that, you know, SBF this and FTX. But I'm telling you guys, if it was going to go to zero, it would have done it last year. Like it took a beating after the FTX collapse and everything that happened. And we're still kind of seeing that fight. And there was a really good tweet by a guy named Jay. And he was talking about asymmetric returns, right? And for an asymmetric return to kick in, you need two things. One, you need to be right, but you also need everyone else to be wrong. And when you look at how people talk about Solana and the negativity that surrounds it, I'm just telling you guys, do the research, look into the technology, look at what they're building, right? Look at uh, um, Jump Crypto of like how they're scaling this thing on the mainnet and then make a decision for yourself. Don't just listen to me or anyone else that pushes out these narratives. Do the research and look into the developer activity, the wallet addresses, everything that's happening, and then make a decision for yourself. And Gonzo, we got a great statement out of uh, the president of Ripple yesterday where she said, the past couple of years have been a real tipping point for institutional DeFi, where even the biggest banks are embracing this technology and the future. They have a choice right now to adapt or die, Johnny Crypto. It does not get stronger than that, my friend. And we got 340 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, you just brought up how Coinbase is setting their stone when it comes to the innovation taking place today. Well, the tokenization advocacy group wants to bring the next trillion of assets onto the blockchain. And this founding member right here is who we're going to be focused on as Coinbase Circle and Aave companies aim to foster the use of blockchain technology for traditional assets. So the tokenization asset coalition aims to bring the next trillion dollars of assets on chain through education, advocacy, and fostering the adoption of public blockchains. Now, Johnny, why is this so important? Coinbase working with USDC as well as backed by BlackRock here. So I'm going to make the assumption if Coinbase is moving, they've been given the go-ahead from the big guys. Let's read this article and talk about it. The group's founding members are crypto exchanges, Coinbase, Stablecoin Issuer Circle, Net Layer, uh, Layer 2 Network Base, DeFi Lending Call, uh, Ave Companies, and a couple of others here. And I apologize, I'm butchering this a little bit. The term stands for transforming old school financial assets such as stocks, bonds, and private credit into the blockchain. And tokenization of assets had the potential to disrupt the financial infrastructure and create a more efficient system. Bank of America even chimed in and said the tokenization could mushroom to $16 trillion by 2030. And that's only six years from now, my friend. We are sitting at a $1 trillion market cap for crypto overall, but they're predicting $16 trillion in tokenized assets alone. What do you take away from all this news? Bank of America, Coinbase. I'm going to throw in BlackRock here. This is our internet moment. I really believe it. I mean, they're all certainly given the blessing that they believe the blockchain is here to stay. There's no question about it that they've already made up the mind. They've already decided that it's going to happen. And now 
you're just seeing the time it takes to make it happen. And it ain't going to be quick. This is going to take time. It's going to take, it's a lot of $16 trillion. It's a big, big bulk of money we're talking about, and they're going to want to do it and get it right. So to me, it's it's just a matter, it's just further validation apps that this market is coming to fruition. And now you're seeing all these companies putting projections out there of how big they think it's going to be. And you know what? Not a single one of them are going to be right. They're going to always get the projections wrong. Some are going to undershoot. Some are going to overshoot. And the reality at the end of the day is for us, what we care about is the fact that it actually is coming. And then the real question is, where are the key places to invest, uh, to own a piece of that so you can benefit as all these assets actually get tokenized? That, my friend, is the $64,000 question. And hopefully this video right here can provide a little insight into that $64,000 question, guys. And I want to ask the live chat right now, do you believe Johnny Crypto is correct? Are we on the precipice of an internet moment where crypto becomes synonymous with payments and transactions, they go global? Um, uh, to Dilip, uh, this question comes from the audience. Many people are using cryptos just to buy and sell and make quick gains out of it. Does it hurt the growth of cryptocurrencies? That usage for, for, for a quick buck. I mean, it's, it's kind of chicken and egg. You have to create a marketplace. And right now, we have about 150, 200 exchanges around the world that trade in XRP. Uh, a lot of it, as you say, is very shallow trading by individuals. And that is not the use case that we are pursuing. What we are pursuing is the use of XRP as a financial asset by sophisticated institutions as a bridging uh, mechanism. So does this hurt or harm? Well, it creates a lot of noise. And, uh, you know, we certainly don't want that much noise. So does this hurt or harm? Well, it creates a lot of noise. So what they're talking about there is the speculative trading based on the price for XRP, Mario. And he was saying it creates a lot of noise and that's not what we prefer. We want to make this silent and swift. So I'm going to kick it to you. And then, Johnny, what do you think? What does this mean to you? Well, first of all, that's what XRP was created for. And second, it doesn't hurt. I mean, look at the stock market. How many people day trade? They go in and out of a stock. They make a quick buck. So that's not going to be the breaker. That's not going to be the breaker of, of the market. So I definitely, I definitely agree. I don't think that, that, that that's, you know, and, and XRP, that's what it was designed for. We, we've heard Quincy say that XRP's ledger is in and of itself uh, an exchange, right? It's, it's, it's designed that way. So I, I don't necessarily think that that's a breaker moment right there. Johnny Crypto, I'm going to play this and then we're going to get a thought from you. But uh, we're waiting. And for example, this last quarter, uh, the bulk of XRP sales were to institutional investors. And as this transitions away from retail to institutions, we'll start to use it for wholesale um, you know, financial usage. That's when the turning point will come. Shout out to SPI Remit, because that is the signal we've been waiting for for the turning point here, Johnny. You give me your thoughts and I'll get mine. Oh, shout out to those guys. I think they listened to the Merlin Spaces. We literally talked about this on the Merlin Twitter spaces. So if you guys aren't paying attention, you're, you're missing out. You could have got early access to this and who knows what else uh, information. We talked about this in depth with Quincy two weeks ago, Abs, and this is to me the single most important part to understand about crypto. So I'm going to spend some time to explain this again. If you guys want to understand, everybody keeps saying that. Why, why won't the price go? Why don't the price go? We got adoption here, adoption here. and this. Uh, because right now it's exactly what he said. And we've been saying it. All you have right now is just real small investor, retail investor buys and sells. 
ain't gonna do shit for the price, nor does it set the price. The only thing that matters is what at the end of the day does the price need to be? And when I say price, I mean XRP price or cryptocurrency price, whatever. For whatever daily trade volume it's trying to support. So the higher the daily trade volume goes, okay, the higher the price can actually go. Because it has to be able to support that entire, that market cap has to move up for it to be able to handle all that. You and I as retailers are never going to be able to drive the daily volume to a place that we're going to want XRP to be to go and sell. All right. The only way that's going to happen is through institutions, tokenization, everybody buying it, and then having a certain floor demand of daily sale volumes that need to be done to support that price. And that's why, and he literally just said that, right? And we talked about that two weeks ago. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that because most people don't get what drives the market cap or why, you know, but once you drive that market cap, it needs to be a certain price. I guess I can give an example. So let's say, you know, it needs to be a trillion dollar market cap. Because there's a trillion dollars of volume sales happening. Well, then the price, based on the supply of the coin, has to be able to support that total trillion dollars. At. And if you got a billion tokens, then I don't know. I think you need to be 10 bucks or something. You need to be, yeah, $10. Right? So, oh, no. Actually, sorry, $100. So, that's that's how it works. And, in, in, you know, kind of make a long story short. So important that you absolutely want to see institutional adoption. And, and I don't mean institutions just buying it and holding it. That doesn't help. That just sets a floor. You need them trading it, daily volume trades, because they're using it to run businesses and run things. That's when you're going to see the real true uh, price appreciation. So I hope that kind of helps clarify that. It definitely does, guys. And basically, it's as simple as this. You can't transfer a billion dollars worth of assets if there's not a billion dollars on the <laughs> yeah, network. Exactly. That's something exciting that a lot of our listeners can look forward to, guys. And I wanted to actually spend a moment on this. This is one of the possible options for the appearance of a banknote for the BRICS currencies. I wanted to get some thoughts from Mario and Gonzo here. We're looking at what could be considered a competitor to the U.S. dollar right now. And I got to admit, the design is pretty cool. It's looking pretty good here. I haven't gone through the symbology and seen really what this is identifying as. But what do you guys think? BRICS nations putting out ideas for their next wow. dollar bill. Wow. Gonzo. Um, you know, I think it was inevitable. Like when you see going back to what happened in 2008, 2009, um, and then kicking the can forward and how we printed money and how these other economies are just tired of it. Like they just don't want to deal with it anymore. Right. And so, uh, I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I think it's something that's inevitable, especially when you start to look at what the core of our dollar is, which is the petrodollar. I think Coach JV was talking about this. He showed a really good video. So check it out. But basically, once that we lose that petrodollar, where you have these other countries that are no longer supporting the dollar, where they have to buy dollars to buy oil, they can do it in other currencies or their own currencies or maybe whatever BRICS comes in with. Because remember, Saudi Arabia is going to be joining the BRICS that's really where you're going to start to see the major decline because for years and years and years, um, that was the, that's kind of what held the dollar together. Uh, that was a big part of it is that everyone in the world to buy oil, which everybody needs had to buy dollars. Um, and so once you lose that, then it, you know, it's not, again, it's not going to happen overnight, but you're going to see um, something else 
come into play. And like we've talked, we've all talked about this, where we're, we're going to see, we believe we're going to see a mix of currencies that is going to end up do, being the next kind of world reserve currency once the dollar drops out. And our, Mario, uh, yeah. just for the sake of time, I'd like to get your thoughts on this article instead. As Ripple joins hands with Elon Musk's SpaceX partner in this new funding round they're doing for Maui, what they're doing in this project is they are funding and raising $50,000 from the public, and then Ripple is going to submit $100,000 of their own money to give to the people of Maui. Now, what's so interesting about this article right here is Jared Isaacman, Elon Musk co-founder and partner of SpaceX, is the one that's working with Ripple. So I really just wanted to spend a moment uh, focusing on these connections. We've often heard Elon talk about Doge and the joking aspect of crypto. When are we going to see him make a serious shift? I think this is an indicator he's well aware of better technologies. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's made statements about Bitcoin. Uh, so we know that he's a he's a supporter of Bitcoin for sure. Um, like on that on that article, I think that I the one thing that I remember I remember this uh, episode of uh, Ellen, where Aston I think it was Aston Kutcher came on and he spoke about Ripple and this is a video that I'm sure a lot of people have seen and Ripple actually donated a few million dollars to Ellen's foundation or charity whatever it was, and so I know that Ripple is Ripple is known for for being supportive whenever you know the situation comes. I think that the fact that they're working together with SpaceX, it could be something. I mean, is it an indication of Elon Musk being aware of XRP? I'm sure he is aware of XRP, but is it an indication of them working together on something? We'll find out eventually. But um, I just wanted to put a quick comment on what Gonzo was touching on before with, with BRICS. You know, our president, the United States president, recently um, stated that our economy is strong. And so either he knows something or they know something that we don't or they're just blowing smoke in our faces <laughs> but uh the BRICS, more and more countries are joining them and that's not for no reason that's definitely for a reason now the real question is is the u.s doing this on purpose or is the u.s really losing their status as the world superpower and therefore the u.s dollar losing its status as the world currency that's the real question that i am intrigued to find out in the future are they doing this on purpose is it all by design oftentimes it ends up being by design or are we really seeing this shift away from the united states dollar and i just wanted to throw that there because i had it in my mind johnny i've been going down the rabbit hole of economics recently and one of the things that i've realized about manufacturing is the chinese citizens are purposefully paid lower rates because that's the only way they can keep the manufacturing rates so low earlier we had talked about with mark yusko why did the United States outsource all of its manufacturing? One of the answers is there are poorer countries around the world where if you keep your citizens poor, you can pay them low labor costs. And I think that's what he's elaborating on here. But I do want to show this video of Kevin O'Leary explaining how there's a trillion dollars sitting on the sidelines ready to enter the market in 2024, but it's not going to end up in any small businesses. Our latest poll, our next guest, and you're looking at that poll now, is saying that September which starts tomorrow, will be the start of real chaos for the U.S. economy and hurt the little guy. Let's bring in Kevin O'Leary. He's joining us now. Kevin, in what respect is this new influx of money from the president's program that passed a couple of years ago going to not help the little guy? Well, let's think about it. We've got the Chips and Science Act. Where's that money going? Behemoth giant companies in the S&P 500. The Inflation Reduction Act, another trillion, not even printed yet, all going to the big guys. Now, that's great. 
They represent 40% of the jobs in America, the S&P 500. Everybody knows the S&P 500. It's the biggest index in the world. But 60% of America is small business. That's where 60% of the jobs come from. We've given nothing to them. And so they're struggling because the Fed has raised rates up to 5.5% in a matter of months. To stop inflation, theoretically. Right. And yet we still have full employment, under 4% unemployment. So the small guy, the business between five and 500 employees, he's been cut off at the regional bank level. They're not lending. The loan books closed down. The rates that he pays for money have gone from 4 to 5% to 11 to 17 And we're not talking about them. But you're going to hear a lot of people crying about this in the next few months because they can't borrow anything anymore and they can't run their businesses. So shocking, Johnny, 60 percent of the businesses in America are small businesses. And I want to give a shout out to my dad. He is one of those small business owners. But guys, we got 320 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And I want to put a positive spin on this, Johnny. What Kevin O'Leary just highlighted in that video is that all of this money is going to be flowing into the top 500 country or companies in America. Well, this is Casper Labs, and I want to give a shout out to our friend Kevin Cage here. He's always talking about Casper Labs, and what this project is doing is they're actually working with companies like Verizon and Simmon, which are some of the smartest or some of the largest smart contract infrastructure companies, not only in America, but in the world. So I want to ask you, do you you think some of this new blockchain companies in the United States, I know we've seen Operation Showpoint thus far, but maybe we'll see a change in 2024. Abs, you broke up there in the middle of the question, so I didn't catch it. Could you repeat the question? Yeah. Do you think any of this new funding is going to fu- is going to funnel into crypto projects? Because as we can tell, Verizon and Simmons are top 500 companies in the U.S., and I wanted to connect those two videos. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So uh, Verizon, you know, obviously going there. Siemens is also going there. Um, I think at the end of the day, whenever you inject a bunch of money into this, into the economy, at some point it's going to find its way through the system and through technologies that make make them improve their bottom line. And we know that the blockchain technology can ultimately lead to that. Abs. It can reduce costs. Um, it can increase efficiencies. So, you know, I think you will. Yes, I think to, to put a positive spin on this, the reality is that money will find some of its way into the blockchain space and that will lift the whole thing up. But the sad part of the reality is it is true that the bulk of America runs off of small businesses. My mom had a small business and unfortunately due to COVID, she had to close it down and many, many businesses got shut down during COVID unfortunately and never came back. And that's, that's just the, that's, that hurts the U S economy. So this money flooding in at the higher level at the big boys, some of that will trickle down. Used to be called trickle down economics, and you'll see some of it trickle down. The question, Abs, is how much of it actually makes it into the space. And I think it'll be a small portion, but I do think some of it will trickle into blockchain. Yes. Positive news for everybody who's a supporter of Quant Network out there. And Gonzo and Mario, I'd like to get your thoughts on this one. This is our good friend or somebody who will one day know our name, Johnny Crypto, Gilbert Verdian, one of the yes, founders of Quant Network. And, what, and he was actually working at the Federal Reserve before he started this project. But check out this good news. He's going to be at Cybos this week discussing CBDCs for the Bank of England. So Quant Network continues to be a part of these important conversations. Gonzo, how do you feel about this news? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, super bullish. He's an extremely intelligent man. He's like a genius. And he's come up with a lot of different kind of protocols. Or um, isn't he the one that, that wrote all the ISO stuff? Wasn't it him? I think so, right? Yeah. 
And so I, I think that um, as we roll into this new technology and TradFi rolls into this next technology phase, um, I think that quant will be uh, sitting at the table. I, I think they're going to be a big part of it, especially as a connection point uh, to all these different things that need to come together and to run smoothlessly to like move money and value across the different chains. Mario, there's a bunch of stuff we can get to. We only got five minutes left in this episode, guys. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that we've covered throughout the episode today. But this is something that I wanted to show you as more of a funny thing. This is a man that I got to interview at XRP Las Vegas on stage. That is my good friend, Derek. I believe you pronounce his name. I'm probably butchering this, guys. So don't hold me accountable there. But he's standing with David Schwartz, which is pretty exciting. And this is one of the developers for Expectar, which is a metaverse project being built on the XRPL. And this is a video we're going to close out the show with today, discussing how AMM and the metaverse are game changers when it comes to XRP. You mentioned XRP Ledger sidechains and uh, Root Network being one of the sidechains. Yeah. Could you tell, talk more about how you think X XRP Ledger sidechains benefit the entire community and what impact it has on an XRP Ledger ecosystem? Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, um, we chose XRPL and um, to work with Ripple and the XRP community for a range of things. But one of the things that we found interesting um, when we were looking at other layer ones out there to connect to was, was two things. One, the kind of ethos around XRP and the community and the way the ledger was designed was aligned with our ethos. Um, you know, the way that the ledger's been designed to be lightweight, to do simple things really, really well, um, to um, reduce fees, all of those kinds of things align with providing good user experience. But XRP as a ledger lacked some functionality that we needed to activate the experiences that we wanted to for our users. So we can bring those two things together. The root network drives value back into XRPL um, because we're doing more activity on the, on the ledger when those connections are made. Um, it enhances the um, options for developers in the ecosystem to create new applications. They can connect with our native runtimes on the root network. They can interact with our content on. So for the sake of time, I think that what's so important about this video, Gonzo, is we're seeing a diversified market come together. And I almost said become centralized, but that's not the word I'm looking for. We're seeing collaborations between projects, which are only opening the use cases for projects like the XRPL. With only a couple minutes left in this show, guys, before you head out of here, show us some love, smash that like button. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. But Gonzo, what do you think about all this development with these new collaborations, the potential for use cases, it's only increasing. Yeah, I think it's exponential, all the different use cases. We know that the system is broken and there's tons of friction. And the whole point of the end game is to cause, uh, to build a system that is completely frictionless so that value, money, however you want to call it, can move throughout the system seamlessly. Um, and so like, that's it. Thank you guys. And we're going to close this thing out the same way we always do by yeah. saying, yo. Before you close it out, hold on. I just want to give one quick shout out if you don't mind. To our man Poncho here, thank you for trying out Maryland. He says it's effing awesome. That's kind of cool. So I was excited to see comments like that. And guys, as you use Merlin, please tell us your thoughts, even in the chat, whatever. Send me an email. We just want to hear what you think about it. Thank you so much, guys. And we're going to close this thing out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny. Thank you to Mario. And thank you to Gonzo, a.k.a. Super G. We've got 313 live listeners out there. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And it's like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank